Episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. Oh, normally I'd say sitting here in the sunny Middle East, but the boys got sick of that intro again and again. They just niggled me. How you doing there, Raf? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm just uh, trying to stay awake, doing some reverse reverse uh, sleep schedule thing going on, but I'm hanging in there. How are you guys doing? You look like you're sitting in a locker. You've, you've snuck off out of your room. You've found somewhere where you can get a bit of Wi-Fi and you're patching into the net. Uh, I'm actually in a hallway. I'm not in a closet. Wish I was in a closet, but this will work. Clock's running for the uh, RTB back to Orbs and the Bean. Yeah, a uh, couple of weeks and some change. Looking, uh, really looking forward to that. Just being back in old God's country up in the mountains. And uh, how you going there, Mike? Hey, welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator. This is Mike, Mike77. Uh, it's just way too hot. It's just way too hot out here in the Middle East. I have nothing else better to talk about in my life. But uh, how's that? Is that better? Is that a better one, Melon? That was terrible. Okay. All right. I've mean, got to be straight up with you. That was, ter- that was worse. Okay. Getting okay. worse. Your throwing accent's falling apart. Well, it's, it's, a not, it's not an easy one. It's my seventh language. So I'm trying. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, so all the listeners, we're pretty wound up, man. We had some good banter right before this. And... Uh, yeah, there's nothing to complain about. It's officially fall time here on the East Coast, and uh, I love it because it means cool weather and hunting. So uh, Mike's pretty happy. Yeah, good stuff. And we're joined again by, you probably read in the show notes, my wife, Cherry. How are you going there, Cherry? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Always good to have you along. How's your day been? Awesome. Online school. Online. It's the best. <laughs> Online school, people. Two kids, there you go. All right, so uh, the episode today, as you saw in the show notes, is managing time apart and reunion, lessons learned from military deployments. So more relevant than ever probably with people having, uh, we're all separated from people that we want to be with at the moment. We've got a lot of travel restrictions happening globally. And, uh, you know, we really hope we can dig out a few things that we've all picked up in our time, uh, how we manage the lead up to, to getting to deploying, how, how we manage being apart, staying aligned, and then the uh, reunion phase. So we're gonna start, kick off with Mike. Mike, let us know, how, what, what, what have you done to manage your time apart in those reunions? Oh, okay, so this is a very big, <laughs> very big topic. Uh, there's a lot of things that can go into this. So a couple of these, I'm really gonna to try to narrow down the best of my ability, but I uh, just realized there's, there's just so much more. So uh, I've, I've had five deployments total. So it's about two and a half years overseas on, uh, like I said, three different continents. Today, I'm really gonna talk more about um, my biggest combat deployment, which was uh, the one that I was on with RAF in uh, 2012 uh, to Afghanistan. Uh, there was a lot of mixed emotions. There was my first combat deployment and just the the tempo and stuff that I experienced there and then also what it was like to come home. Uh, I just want to say one of these, uh, this, this topic really came up from uh, one of our listeners that uh, gave us some really good feedback and was just like, 
hey, what is it like for a, a military person or a combat veteran to transition from coming home uh, and getting back into society of like everyday people? Um, that is a great question. Her, her whole point of it was she, she wants to understand our side so she uh, can kind of relate to veterans more and like what they're going through. Uh, so if you're listening, thank you very much for that. Uh, so <clears throat> 2012, I was what? I was in my almost mid-20s, and uh, I got pulled into the office after, you know, during workup, and it was like, hey, man, uh, how do you feel about going to Afghanistan? And I was like, yes, absolutely. The initial reaction was like, yes, that's where I want to go. Um, in, in my community, going to war is the, is the carrot. It's the reward. Like, you want to go to war. Uh, that is the that is the Super Bowl that you get to go into. So, of course, I was excited. I was energetic. And uh, leading up to that, I was just excited. I was getting my gear ready, just telling everybody, like, I get to go. I get to go. I get to go. It was like I just won, won a, uh, the lottery or something like that. <clears throat> and uh, But as it started getting closer, it really starts sinking in, like, oh, man, like, am I ready for this? Uh, am I prepared? Is everything going to be okay? Like, am, am I 100% ready mentally, emotionally, physically? Uh, I started working out like a lot harder. Uh, I was studying more. I was going back over tactics. I was double checking all my gear, my stuff, uh, sending emails and questions to the guys that I was going to turn over with. Like, dude, am I forgetting anything? And it started getting into that point of just being extremely nervous. Uh, at the time, uh, with family, so at the time I was married, and uh, my family, my parents, or my mom and everything, um, I, was, I, I was extremely worried and concerned for them about how they were going to deal with me being gone and all that stuff happening. There was a lot of, the surge just happened in Afghanistan, and there was a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff going on with just us fighting the Taliban, but also, as Raf can, can say, is a lot of green on blues which is the uh, Afghan forces turning on us and would just sh shoot their trainers and the, the people they were with. So this is a big concern. So uh, my mother, especially since she's older, uh, my brother was wounded in Iraq in 2005 and uh, almost lost him. And I, I remember I came home and saw my mother laying on the floor and it looked like somebody bear maced her. She was crying so hard and could barely mutter the words, you know, your brother got shot. And uh, so I was very worried. Like, I, I didn't want to put my mom through that again. And I was just reaffirming myself that I'm going to be okay. I'm going to do everything that I can to get home and do this thing right for by my family. So lots of conversations there and just reassurance. Um, and then I got on deployment. It was exciting. And it was just a fire hose of emotions and feelings and excitement. I mean, the first time you hear that alarm going off from the, from the indirect fire of the incoming, 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 you know, you think it's going to be so bad and you're like all freaking out. But then after a while, it's kind of like, okay, it's whatever, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Um, and then going on the missions and, and you get more comfortable, you get more confident. Uh, you're, you're more, um, you're more, in tune with your abilities. So I would relate it to, you know, some, some people in sports and everything is just like, you know, you hear the zone, you're in the zone. 
you definitely get like that in a combat environment. Uh, everything is wired in your, your senses are firing all at once. And you know, they're at 110%. It's a, it's definitely a high to say the least. And just being able to experience something that, you know, when there's bad guys around or, you know, whatever is happening, you're in a gunfight or you're about to be, and you hear them, you know, talking bad about you over the ICOM chatter on the radio with the interpreter gets you really amped up. So you never know what's waiting out there. Uh, had a great deployment. I loved doing what I did there. I got to be with some of the best people and I, I got to do the job that I dreamed of as a child. As that deployment started closing down to the last month or so, it really started weighing on me for a few reasons. One is because I was kind of addicted to that high. I loved making a difference. Like I had serious purpose every day and the people that I was there with like Raf and uh, the pilots and you know, the Wolfpack, shout out to the Wolfpack and uh, all the other guys. And I didn't want to leave them. They became my family. And uh, they were there on a year long deployment. I was only there for five months uh, of theirs. And it was just getting really heavy into the fighting season in the summertime and I was due to rotate back. And I just made a decision. I was like, I know everybody's waiting for me at home, but I, I can't leave. Like, I do not want to leave. I start putting in requests uh, up my chain of command to extend, uh, whether it was two weeks, a month, like anything that I could get, I did not want to leave these guys. I, it felt like I was quitting, like I was abandoning them. Abandoning them uh, and I, it just wasn't complete. And I didn't, I just didn't want to leave. My family was kind of like questioning me. Uh, my wife at the time, she was questioning me, you know, don't you care about me? Don't, you know, the family's like, don't you care about us? Like you have a death wish or something. You just want to stay there. And I was like, no, I, I can't explain it. I just, I can't leave these guys. But I was ultimately told, no, Hey, you're going home. And that's that. That's that. So shut up and deal with it. <laughs> so I came home and, uh, it's kind of funny. <laughs> little funny moment in there. I got picked up at the airport and, uh, I didn't cut my hair for six months. I had a big long beard and I just looked like a total, like, you know, a hobo. And I walked up and my family's there and they're just kind of like, Oh my God, like, who is this homeless? Who's this homeless guy that we just picked up? <laughs> and you go immediately from feeling like a, like a badass, you know, like you're overseas and you got long hair and a beard. It's usually like, Oh, that's the soft guys. Like we don't, the, the, those are tough dudes, you know, but then you come back home society and you're like, look at this jackass. And your, your whole, your whole mentality of feeling like a cool guy just goes right out the window. You know, <laughs> it's all right. Um, so I got home and I had to cut my hair. I had to shave my beard, go back to standard stuff. And then, uh, man, the first month was just very, very hard and terrible for me. Uh, just in general, traveling across the world, your sleep schedule gets messed up. So you're jet lagged for at least two weeks. Uh, my attitude was I was angry every single day that I had to come home and leave those guys. I felt again, like I quit on them. Uh, I was upset because I couldn't be there every day. There was news going out about the war. Uh, what was going on? There was people being killed in the same province that I was in shortly after that, there was a, uh, 
an, another uh, teammate that was killed right in the same province that I was. And it really bothered me because I was like, man, if I could have been there, maybe I could have done something about it. Like, I don't know how, but I, if I would have been there, I could have just done something to maybe keep him here. And I, I don't know. And that really bothered me. And then shortly after that, the, one of the Blackhawks crashed that uh, I worked with these guys. Uh, they, uh, they, they were all killed on, on the, uh, on the Blackhawk. And I was just like, Oh my God, like, all these people are starting to get killed and I'm not there. I'm sitting here on my couch. Like th this isn't right. I, I just felt completely disconnected and I wasn't connected to my family, my wife, like nothing at the time. And it was just very, very hard. And I sent emails to Raf all the time to all my friends over there. What do you guys need? What can I do? Is everybody okay? And they're telling me, yeah, dude, we took rounds of the Blackhawk today. We almost got shot down. There's seven, six, two rounds through the rotor blades um, the guys, the guys that replaced you aren't good dudes and they're just pissing everybody off and burning bridges. And, and it was just like, I should not be here. I need to go back. And looking through all of this, it was my first time in, in combat and such a dramatic change from that type of environment to everyday civilian life. It really forced me to stop and say oh my God, like who, who did I become over there? I kind of lost myself and was just this warrior bound, like everything. I was the toxic masculinity. I was, I didn't care about people's feelings or emotions. I was just like, I want to get back to the war. And it honestly carried me for another year because I did everything I could to like get back on rotation and get back to the war. It was all that was driving me was like, I need to get back to the, to the, to the fight. I have to get back to the fight. And uh, it really caused so much strain in marriage, family, friends. Um, it was just so tough. I really didn't have a lot of closure until these guys got back from deployment. I flew to Hawaii, and they had a uh, a, uh, a ball for everybody that was there on that on that base with us. So I flew to Hawaii. I dropped everything that I did. I was just like, these are my. This is my family. This is my my brothers. I served with. I have to go and physically shake these guys' hands. I had to hug them. I had to apologize to them that I, that I couldn't stay. Um, so for another, you know, seven, eight months until these guys got home from deployment, I was just completely crushed. And uh, so I flew down there and saw Rath and all, all the, the guys in the Wolfpack and the Medevac and everybody we served with Colonel Hines. And I just gave them all the biggest hug. And I was just so happy that they made it home. And it was like closure for me. Like, yes, it's, it's over and I could close this chapter of the book and move on and really start connecting again and having these emotions come back because I just felt like I cheated them. Um, and I, it's very hard to, to explain all this. And I know there's a lot of people that are listening that can definitely relate uh, survivor's guilt and a few other things that flowed into there. Whew, that's a lot, dude. <laughs> It was a lot. Yeah, if I could just if I could just add to what Mike just said, um, obviously because I was kind of part of that crew. I think the thing that you realize real quickly, and it was interesting because that was my second deployment, right? My first deployment was to Iraq. That was my second deployment. It was my first to Afghanistan. And I think what you struggle with is the fact that when you're overseas, and it's not because you know you're seen 
combat every minute of the day. But it's just the littlest things are so, so much more visceral while you're overseas. And I think it's because, you know, there is that reality that, you know, something as simple as indirect fire can kill you. Or, you know, we did lose two Blackhawks that, that deployment. So that was, uh, that was really heavy losses. I mean, that was, talk about having a sense of mortality, right? Like a real sense of mortality. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I had a couple, I had two very specific moments where I really thought uh, that was it for myself and my crew as well. So anyways, uh, when you get home, I think that one of the biggest challenges, and obviously Mike, I think, dealt with it almost as soon as he got home. Mine was a little bit more insidious, meaning it just took longer for it to kind of finally rear its head. But just that, that switch from, you know, everything you're doing day to day is, there's, it's very visceral. And then you come back to the United States and like the, I think the, the trending thing at the time was like honey boo boo and whatever the hell they were doing in their little house and like all these ridiculous shows. And it's, it's such a, it almost seems like, well, it is fake, but I mean, you're thrusted from something that's so real and so visceral where what like, kind of like what Mike said, what you do really like people's lives really depend on it. Right. And it's not dramatic like the movies, but in the back of your mind, if I don't do my job to the best of my ability, um, you know, there's, there's, there's real, there's real consequences for it. And then you go, you get thrusted from that to you're kind of just in the general public and you're just kind of watching people lose their minds because they didn't get the right size coffee or they got cut off by whoever. And you're just like, it's such a weird process to unfold and unpackage and kind of understand that, you know, that's you're back to reality. You know, this is your reality again. Um, so yeah, well, again, so same to what Mike just said, except for me, it was, it took me many, many more months to start kind of grappling those ideas. Whereas he immediately knew that like his, his was intense and it was a lot quicker and mine was kind of a gradual thing. It took me, you know, eight months before I started to feel that disconnect. Did you guys have that sense when you got home that it's sort of like you're in the Truman show or some strange, like, I remember seeing reality TV and stuff as well when I got home and just thinking, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I found myself losing enjoyment in a lot of things that I should be enjoying. Um, I, I lacked empathy. Like I said, I didn't care that people were upset or that they were fighting over stupid stuff. Like I was just like, I don't care. Like this does not matter. What matters is what I had over there. Like, I should be back in the gunfight right now. My brothers are over there fighting and I'm sitting here listening to two grown adults bicker about dumb stuff. And I'm like, this is a waste of my time. Like that's, that's literally how I felt, like how shut off I was from like society. And I mean, having a simple conversation or like letting out my, my true deep feelings was not going to happen. Like I was so hardened and connected to that group and that reality of like, I am making a difference every minute of the day and everything that I do matters to other people's lives. Not like, well, I'm going to wake up and wing it today and just see what happens, you know, and you're just walking down the street or I'm going to, you know, the, the gas station, whatever. It's just like, no, man, like every day I woke up, like, at least I told myself there is, there was a, there was someone out there that's waiting for me today. When I go on this mission that thinks he can take me 
And it was like this driving challenge of just like, let's see what happens, dude, because I'm coming out the other end and I'm going home. And even though I said that, it was just like, I didn't want to go home. I, I kept wanting to wake up, feel that challenge every day and feel that importance and that drive and that connection and that high. And man, it, it just really, it just really took over, you know, and it's, it's, it slips in there and sometimes you can't even, you don't even realize it. How, how did this play out for you when you got home, Mike? Like how did it play out in your family and your marriage? And like, how have you, how have you dealt with this since then? Well, I've had three other, three other deployments since then. So, you know, it's kind of like a reset. Like I said, after that, after that ball that we had and I got back and I saw those guys, I can kind of close the chapter on that book of like, okay, this is, this is finally over and we can move on. Uh, and then it was just like next year, the following year I was deploying again. And then, you know, again and again. So every time I was just like, okay, this is another chance. This is another opportunity. It's clean slate. I can do this right. You know, so going, talking to some older veteran guys that have been around a lot longer than I have that have eight, nine, 10, 11 deployments. Uh, hey man, how do you deal with this? Because I really struggled last time, you know, and opening myself up and being able to learn and get perspective on how to deal with these things and shut down the proper way and transition back. And, you know, that's where I gained my most, most of my knowledge. And it was that not by going and like doing these mandatory decompression stops on the way back where they force you to sit in a hotel for a week. It's like, I don't want to sit here. I want to go home. Like if you're going to send me home just send me home, I don't want to sit in Spain or uh, Germany or wherever and just sit here with a, with a, you know, with a leash and collar on me and be like, yeah, decompress, but don't leave this area and just sit in your box. You know, I'm like, dude, this isn't helping, but literally talking and, and, and getting perspective from guys that have done way more than I have really starts slowing me down, reevaluate myself, become, be become a better man, be more of a professional and realize that like, Hey man, this is my job. This is my, this is my profession is war. <laughs> like it's crazy to say that even right now my profession is war and i have to learn how to navigate it i can't just let it be like a random lightning bullet out of me and not control it like society doesn't expect that from me my family doesn't expect that from me my friends the military the country like as a as a military person as a professional and what i do they expect me to be calm they expect me to be able to deal with the worst situations with the eight years that have gone past now since then, how how do you manage that reintegration differently now as a senior guy, like as an experience? Now you're one of the vets. Yeah. What would you say to one of the young guys on your next deployment? Like what's the best? I, 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 I implemented some more disciplines uh, with myself. So communication is one. So writing more emails, FaceTiming with people that I, that I care about. Um, home life, literally like take, even I wrote down some notes sometimes just to really get my head in, head in the game about, Hey, this is what I want to talk about. It was kind of like a mini podcast with family members or people that I loved and being like, I want to talk about these things. I'm not going to talk about work. Like, let's just talk and remember some good times and share pictures and 
really just, hey, 30 minutes today, I'm doing nothing but this, no interruptions, whatever, and have that connection and be able to build and not forget what was waiting for me at home. You know, what was, who, who really cared about me? Who was thinking about me all the time? And I did a lot of things like that. I mean, I could go down the list, but it was really just hitting the pause button, breathing, like meditation came into it. There was of like settling yourself, calming yourself, finding your center. Um, and yeah, just remembering, man, like I, I'm still a human being and there are people back home that will never understand the things that I've seen or done, but that's okay. And I, I just need to retrain myself how to like reconnect and stay connected. And, that, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't make me weak. You know, it's just a pause and redirect. Well, there's a, there's a, a lot of gold in there. I know that there are people, uh, we've got a large community military serving and veterans who will be, this will be resonating with, but I also know that there's just a lot of people out there who do fly and fly at work or people who are separated right now who either have, or maybe will struggle with that reunion phase. And I reckon there's a lot of real gold that you've shared with us there, Mike. That's, I really appreciate it. Yeah. And it, I mean, I'm not alone in that. So, I mean, this is a very big topic for probably a lot of people to deal with it. Um, I, I would just like to ask you if any of you out there are listening or feeling the same things, uh, do not be too proud and like reach out to me. And I would love to talk to you more about that stuff because it's exactly what I had to do. So I, I am here to talk or listen, or you just want to share whatever. And I know uh, Melon and Raph would be as well, but it's very near and dear to my heart what I went through. And uh, yeah, I just want to say I'm here to help if you need it. Good for you, man. I really, uh, thanks for sharing that. So uh, Cheza and I, sort of when we were prepping this, we were really looking at it from how we have dealt with separations as a, as a married couple. We've been together for 19 years and married for 17. We had a lot of military deployments in the first 10. And then we're sort of comparing how we did it early on. We're sort of pre-kids just as two, like a married couple. And how we've done recently with the, uh, the big COVID separation that we went through. And hopefully we've got a few lessons that we can um, break out for you guys as well. So how was it for you at the start, Jerry? So listening to you, Mike, um, your story about, you know, coming home and having to find a way to reconnect as, as that person that's at home waiting <laughs> for Paul to come back, um, doing the work that he was doing, there, there's a lot of, questions about what's he going to be like when he comes home and you kind of I think I just thought well he'll, he'll just be the same but I I had this moment um uh I can't remember which deployment it was but he had been working out a lot because I guess what else do you do if you're not working and sleeping you're working out a lot and he was absolutely gigantic to me and I was just shocked at this other presence like in in our apartment and I really realized that, you know, I had been living my little routine, going to my job, running with the dogs and, you know, going to the gym and, and doing my life the way I did it. And all of a sudden I have this other person that now has got two weeks off and is, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know where he is at emotionally and, and, and of course not understanding the work really. 
you know, being able to talk about it, but really having no concept. And, and as you said, Raf, if it takes a long time to process being back home, when as a couple, can you talk about the things that you're going through? It might be months, it might, you know, and there could be a, there could be a feeling that, you know, do I understand or does she understand? Um, and so one of the things that I learned out of the deployments that Paul had and the reunion of, of him coming home was that not to let the little things get in the way of just being back together again. So I'd be so used to having my life at home. And so I wouldn't get bothered about why did he, why did he leave his, you know, socks on the floor or, um, cause it's just, it's stupid stuff. And I had to just get over all of that and go, okay, I'm now living, you know, with my husband again. And we both had to get used to how we do our stuff and be okay with how he does it. And he needs to be okay with how I do it and find that middle ground. Um, and, you know, I found that our families, um, I think there's, there's this real sense that why wouldn't, why wouldn't, you know, why would he want to even go? Like, why would he want to be deployed? Like, why, why can't he just stay home and someone else do it? And so I, I really got a lot of that from, from people around just wanting to know, like, well, I don't understand why, you know, he would even go. And it's, so I think there's just two sides to, to the deployment. And um, I think it's having some space to reunite and maybe not have really big expectations and big plans of how it's going to be. You know, one of the best things that about um, the reunion after the COVID separation just now this year was that we had to go into this isolation for two weeks. So there was literally no plans. There was, we couldn't leave the house. There was no school. There was no work. And we really just got to live and make breakfast, make dinner, watch shows. It was great. It's funny in that time when they actually, uh, they changed the policy partway through from a 14 day quarantine to a seven day quarantine. And I was already at day 10. And so they called to say, look, you can go to, you can return to work tomorrow sort of thing. And uh, I put the phone down and told Cherry and she cried. <laughs> that was just the state we're in. Like, we're just, we're in that state. There was nothing to do. This is us now, like, you know, in our forties, 19 years together, different from how we were in the beginning. And in the beginning, we would have these rocky periods when I'd get home of, I had my routine down. I'd do, go on my flights, come back, hit the gym go and have a few frothies with the boys and you'd be in your routine, right? You just, you know where all your stuff is, get home and all of a sudden <laughs> put something down. It's not where I left it because the uh, mother hens moved it and stuff gets cleaned and just all that. And just grating on each other. Like now we, we expect there to be bumps. We totally declutter that RTB reunion time. So like we just, like this time was exactly this is the template, like clean the slate, don't put anything in and, and expect to have some, some issues, but 
focus on the big, the big stuff, like get, get that time together, like sitting on the couch and watching family movies with, with, with the kids, some old eighties classics, a bit of crocodile Dundee and stuff for the, <laughs> I, will say, I will say as well like a, a really big thing that you just heard Cherry talk about is getting clear on the why the why of the deployment the why of the separation it could be as simple as a, a truck driver driving across you know the continent of the US or Australia and he's going to be away from his family for a period and if it's really clear for if it's really clear for the individual going away why they're going, there's going to be professional development. They're finally going to, you know, perform a mission that they've trained their whole life for. Or for me, it was sending the family home to what I perceived as a safe location back in Australia for the coronavirus. It was like if if only one of the the two or one part of that family is clear on the why, it can be really easy to fracture and and have total misalignment. You know, you could be like, I'm working his financial goals. You know, we're going to be sorting out the house and the mortgage and all this sort of stuff. And meanwhile, the other person is like, their only goal is family and that individual going away has disrupted that. So I would just encourage people to get really clear on the why beforehand in the lead up to the deployment or the separation. This is for military and for civilian people. So that the bumps you're going to hit, you at least know why. And as Nietzsche said, uh, he who has a why can bear any how. All right, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So uh, real quick question for, for you and Raf, and you know, I can share mine as well. It's a big question. Okay. But try to minimize it. Why did you want to deploy? What was your why? Yeah. I wanted to like, I, I, we, we visited nine 11. We visited ground zero afterwards. I was very impacted by what had gone on there. And we visited after the deployment, but I, I really believe in the mission that we were doing. I believed in uh, supporting troops on the ground in contact. I wanted, I wanted to do what I trained to do. I, I respected the time and effort and resources that had gone into my training and I, and I wanted to deliver. I wanted to be tested. I wanted to see how good I was. There's a whole lot of complex things. How about yep. you, Raf? Yeah, mine was very similar, but to be more pointed, um, I had met Colonel Hines and I knew that he was uh, I knew that he was different, right? Like up until that point, I really hadn't met a good commander like him. Um, and I remember having that discussion with him because uh, I knew that I knew that that unit was going to Afghanistan and I was actually scheduled to get out of the army. I was actually, I had just finished my first term. So um, yeah, uh, he just said, hey, we're going to Afghanistan and it's going to be different. Obviously he was referencing my previous deployment where a lot of us were not happy with what we were doing there, but um, yeah, I, I wanted to, kind of like you, Mike and Melon, I, I believed in, in what we were doing. I knew that we were doing real good, in Afghan, especially in Afghanistan. I knew that the fight was still going on, uh, and I wanted to contribute. I mean, that's, you know, that's why I originally joined. Yeah, for me, it was, uh, it was the calling. Since, since a young age, I've, I've shared my passion since I was 11. Wanted to do this, and this was my opportunity to finally go and – I'll put it blatantly, but I wanted to kill these bastards bad. And I wanted to go out with the baddest dudes that I could get with and go and go do it. And there was nothing going to stop me from getting to that point. And it didn't, um, that was, that was living, man. That was the definition of living and getting to go there. And, um, you know, till this day, I continue to do it. We all continue to do it in one way or another. And, 
what I go back to is the why. And I can still say the why is still there for me. I think when you can't define it anymore is maybe when it's your time to like move on to something else that has nothing to do with this environment, um, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the other side of it, the flip side is yes, I know sometimes my why doesn't match up with other people's relationships, whys, you know, why do you want to deploy? Why do you want to leave me? Why do you want to do this? And uh, I know I'm not perfect. I'm plenty messed up when it comes to emotions and shut off sometimes and everything else. But it doesn't mean that I don't care any less. I still, I probably love harder and I don't like talking about some of it because I don't want to, one, I don't want to hurt you. Two, I don't want to bring you into that terrible world that it can be and let you see some real evil. And then three, sometimes not so much anymore, but for a while I was scared of showing a very small sliver of a monster that kind of lived inside of me. And it's not something I wanted, but when you deal with evil on a daily basis and you literally go out into the middle of nowhere and fight evil monsters and they are monsters, you kind of lose part of yourself because you have to fight it with ferocity and just, I mean, you decimate human beings. (laughs) There's no other simple sugar coating to put it. And you pick up that part of that monster and it follows you. And it's very hard to keep him in his uh, corner, say the least. I don't really have that problem anymore, but I was always scared to open up and talk about that a little bit. But he was always in there shaking the cage, being like, let me out, let me out, let me out. There's some dudes I want to go mess up. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so the why is a, is a big thing, but it's also at the same time. I had a saying when on that deployment, and we actually put it on our task force patch. It said, if not me, why you? because I'm the best choice to be here. I know I can do this job. And if you pick anybody else other than me, you pick the wrong guy. So I don't know. It was just kind of all all wrapped into there, man. I know that uh, probably I'm speaking for a lot of people listening to this. They think they're picturing Mike with a crew perhaps of younger guys. and, And you just know that that voice of wisdom and that ability that he's talking about here with a bit of introspection is just going to help these people deal with this. And uh, absolutely, you know, when you're in a fight with a wolf, you need, you need to be a powerful dog. Like that is not a, a place for the meek. So thanks, thanks for sharing, Mike. I really appreciate it. No How about we throw over to Raph? Raph in the locker, or is it the corridor? <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely is a corridor. Yeah. Um, truth bombs. Yeah. So... I think something that was really important that I came to kind of um, find very true is that, and I'm not talking specifically just about, not talking about just specifically about war, uh, but just there's so many professions out there that kind of put you in a situation where I think everything gets a bit more um, intense. You know, I guess the intensity of the environment. So you don't have to be, you don't have to go to war. Police officers, firefighters, nurses, shoot, even teachers that probably do special ed, you know, everything gets um, elevated. And so when things get elevated, when you're living in that environment constantly, and you walk away from that, there's a real draw to that. And there's a real, so because, you know, because everything's so much more intense, you love harder, you, you, you know, you, you're sadder, you're, you're lonelier. I mean, everything is so much, so much more intense. And so 
that's what I realized about deploying, especially when you, you know, luckily for me, got to meet this uh, great group of guys that I was in Afghanistan with. Um, I just felt very fortunate. But again, everything was, was so much more elevated, right? Uh, then I get home and uh, I think somebody, I can't remember who it was, one of you guys alluded to the fact that it's kind of dangerous because you have this illusion of I'm going to go home and it's going to be picture perfect and, you know, my beautiful wife's going to be waiting on me and we're going to kiss and it's going to be like our first kiss when we dated, you know, five years ago and it's the furthest thing from reality. And when reality starts to seep or really when reality is in front of you and it's not, it doesn't match up with the illusion that you had in your head for the last 12 months, 11 months, um, you, then you really set yourself up for failure. Uh, and again, this isn't just deployments. I'm not talking, you don't have to be deployed. You can be separated for five months and you have this illusion of how it's going to be when you first meet up again. And that was one of the biggest struggles that my wife and Aubrey and I had after my second deployment uh, to Afghanistan um, for a lot of reasons. And I, I will absolutely openly admit uh, that 90% of the issues were literally stemmed from myself and not being able to, to process what I was experiencing. Obviously, my own unique experiences, similar to Mike's, but different, different in their intensity, different for different reasons. But very specifically, three things that I immediately, uh, immediately kind of came into my relationships with my wife was uh, miscommunication. Like, um, I was real, well, first of all, I was really terrible at communicating. Uh, she, she could attest to this. I mean, I would go four or five days without even calling her sometimes. Uh, time would just slip by. And it wasn't like I wasn't trying to call her, but I was so focused <laughs> on flying and, you know, trying to be the best that I could at the time. Um, that I, I, no exaggeration, I would literally think that it was a day and I start talking to her and she's like, where have you been? I'm like, what are you talking about? She'd be like, I, we haven't spoke, spoken like four days. And, and I'm not lying when I tell you, I was, I was shocked. I was like, what do you mean four days? She's like, yeah, last time we talked was four days ago or three days ago or whatever it was. Um, and I realized that there was a reason behind that. It wasn't that I was trying to be malicious. I think it was mostly like an escape, an escape from, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I knew there was some sort of distance between us and I knew that at the time they were struggling. So I think I was using an excuse, but also it was just kind of diving into work, which I know a lot of people do in their professions, whether you're a police officer or a doctor, mil whatever it is, but I was doing it subconsciously without even thinking about it. So that was one of the things that um, I think the realization of that I was doing it without really knowing that I was doing it. The other thing was uh, because of it, obviously, because of the distance, it's really easy to drift apart. And it's not because you don't care about the person. It's really just because you get into your own. I think Chaz, Chaz, you just alluded to the fact that you kind of get into your own routine. And it's, it's not that you don't think that you, you don't need the other person, but you've literally just been living your own life for the last six months, the last year, whatever it is. And so when you finally end up in the same place, you're kind of like, it's not that I don't need you, but I haven't needed you for the last year. I've been doing my own thing. And that's a, and believe it or not, even though you still love that person, you have to realize real quickly that there's a potential for you to drift away without you wanting to drift away, right? You don't want to drift, but sometimes it's there because you've been living individual lives. I mean, the thank God for communication the way we have it now, but uh, even still, it's not the same without that physical touch, right? Without that, that just knowing that the presence of that person in the room. It's, I mean, it's, just, it's something special, right? Like it, like 
especially now, you know, I think about the idea of just being in the room and just knowing that my family's in the room. I mean, that my heart starts racing, right? Just the idea of it. So I think that's a, that's a pretty powerful thing. But um, I, anyways, I kind of digressed. So that, that's really important for anyone who's listening. Understand that even if you don't want to drift, the possibility is there. So be very, very, very aware of it. And then the last thing is, and this, this is pretty, it, it takes quite a bit of courage for me to say this, but I've never been an insecure individual. I've always just kind of accepted a lot of what has been put in front of me through relationships. But in that year that I was in Afghanistan and that we were going through what we were going through, my wife and I, it kind of created an insecurity in myself. And it was, it, and it's strange because it was a new territory for me. So because of the fact that I felt insecure, it just kind of emboldened me to kind of act the way that I was acting, right? With uh, kind of the stonewalling that I was doing, not calling that sort of thing. Um, so that, that was probably the last thing that, and again, these were the three kind of nails that almost shut the coffin in my marriage. And luckily with her tenacity and eventually me just kind of getting out of it, um, and just having those difficult conversations, we were able to manage and kind of wait our way away from that. But, uh, but really the thing, and I, and I will say this, that there's a lot of truth behind this. The way we kind of countered all three of those things that I just discussed was communication. We had some difficult, and when I say difficult, I can't, I can't underline that enough, difficult conversations. I mean, there was crying, there was heartfelt statements that were being said that I know hurt both of us. Um, so I, I say all this because that's sometimes the door you have to go through to get to the place that you want to get to, right? It's just like anything else. It's like going to the gym and working out that muscle and you know, it sucks and you know, it hurts, but man, you're going to be so much better, you know, a month down the road, six months down the road. Um, so unfortunately for us, we, I, I put us through that. Malin, go ahead. I just, I just want to underscore exactly what you just said there about having those difficult conversations. Like there's going to be conflict and there's going to be misalignment because we're all flawed human beings. We're all, no one's perfect. And in this, in this time apart, we've just gone, we've just finished our five and a half months. We had some, some big breakdowns and, and because we have had the experience before we were committed to the communication and we accessed a new level of connection the breakthrough on the other side of the breakdown was bigger and bigger each time and it's never going to happen on its own like that drift you talked about does not take any intention the drift will happen unless you're active like the drift is always going to happen like a boat in the ocean if you're not got the sails you're not got the engine running the drift is going to occur and if you are delaying that com, if you're delaying that conversation, there's going to be a, a much bigger breakdown. You need you need to be honest about yourself and your own limitations. You need to be honest about what's happening in the in the in the relationship, and you need to be willing to fight for that relationship. And it's not always going to be pretty. Yeah, and, and to be completely honest, um, it was me who was refusing to have those difficult conversations. And it was my wife who was trying to instigate them. And it really wasn't until I came online and, and started realizing like, we need to have these conversations. You, I was trying, hey, we need, do, we need to do the thing that Aubrey's been wanting to do. Um, it wasn't until we both kind of met up, I guess you could say, and that we really started to make forward progress. Because one of the most difficult things was that we, we kept having these conversations, but we felt like we were going nowhere. And the truth is, 
It's because my heart wasn't in it. I didn't take any accountability. I just kept making excuses. I just kept saying, well, it was these deployments and it was, my head was in a different state. And, you know, it's, it's easy. It's easy to put blame on, on all the things that jade is in, in this world. But I think that the minute you take ownership of it, I mean, you, you, you've already, you're already in the right course and uh, it's not going to be easy. I'm going to jump right in there. I'm just going to admit it too. Uh, my last deployment last, last year, that was me. Exactly what Raph said. Uh, I, I, I shut off from things and I had so many decisions to make and, and the position I was in with work and, and just the dynamic environment, everything that was going on and uncertainty and, and then everything going on back home. Like I, I shut off a lot and I was indecisive. I should have done things better. Um, I had an idea and I knew what I wanted and where I wanted to be. I knew what I wanted to come home to and I had this vision and everything else that went with it. And, uh, but I didn't do the right things. I didn't, I didn't take the right steps and, uh, that's on me, you know? And it, again, is it failure? I don't, I don't know. I don't want to call it failure anymore, but it's definitely lessons learned. And, you know, as part of this whole thing that we just talked about, it was like, you can reset, you can get a clean slate and you can do it again and do it the right way, you know? And, that's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to do things the right way, the way I should have done them, you know, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known that if I wouldn't have felt the things I did or gone through or had the hard times, like Raph said, and had those walls up. I mean, I, I beat the shit out of those walls and now those walls are gone. You know, they're, I powdered them, you know? So it's like, and it finally feels good to, to, to say that. So I, I agree with you, Raph. You know, that saying they have about, you know, good decisions come from experience and experience comes from poor decisions. It's like, yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's an absolute fact. But anyways, that's, those were just, uh, those were my points. And that's, those are the things that, you know, I genuinely had to go through. So in my final comment with all this is just remember that everything is a choice. It really is. You just have to change your mindset and your physiology. Um, but you really, and some of these choices aren't easy. I mean, they're just not. I mean, we're talking years and years of conversations with my wife where we were constantly falling. I mean, we were literally, we would go two steps forward and we'd go seven steps back. And we're, I mean, again, it's, it, this, this is everybody. We're, we're not the only couple. So I hope that helps. As soon as you start working on it as well, that drift will occur immediately. It doesn't matter how many runs you got on the board. As soon as you start working immediately, like we we had a big we had a big dust up as soon as we got back together again this time we had a, we had a there was a there was a, a breakdown between the two of us we had to work through and it's just like how many how many conversations you have to have and how many times you have to get back to a clean slate and it's like it will it will be you know you need to pick yourself up again and go again yeah yeah it, absolutely and as a matter of fact right before I got on with you guys I had a conversation with my wife where you can I could probably show you the text message when I literally started asking her are you okay because. I felt like there was some distance, some coldness between us, but it really just had to do with her, with her schedule and, and everything else. So uh, it, it's, you know, don't take it for granted. Always put in the work. Um, but above all else, take ownership. And uh, it's a mindset. So, you know, love the people. You know, if you're going to love somebody, love them all the way through. That, that's gold. I think you should get that like crocheted on a blanket and hang it in the kitchen with a big fork and a spoon on either side of it yeah we we put that out in raf's off time he crochets he sits in his closet over there and he crochets if, if you want something made specifically just hit up his gmail <laughs> and he will knit it for you it's it's beautiful 
How to end a beautiful moment. <laughs> so guys, what, what can I say? You know, I didn't know where this conversation was going to go. Managing time apart, managing reunion, lessons learned from military deployments. Mike really letting us know about where he went after his Afghan 2012 deployment and uh, having survivor guilt, having that sensation of uh, meaning and reality when he was deployed and, and not wanting to come home. And then finally getting the reunion and closure with those guys and learning, finding veterans, getting that experience, starting again with a clean slate, being professional, planning his comms, like writing out notes for his communication with family members and reestablishing those important connections, elements of being calm, being centered and meditating. For Melon and Cherry, we both had a journey from our early deployments and uh, breakdown having two single lives occurring and how do we reintegrate that and getting better at that over time. Uh, certainly we use the digital media a lot more this time, planning that clean uh, empty period for when you reunite and not putting, not putting any events in there and just really having that time to, to really reconnect and being clear about the why, why are we doing these things, making sure that everyone in the family and everyone in that group is on board and understand and, and believe in that mission or the why. Raf having some uh, close call, calls with death and having an insidious del delayed reaction. Again, also that visceral reality compared to that fake feeling life when he got home and having that intensity that lifted and increased the intensity of all his emotions. <sighs> Much like uh, Cherry and I had, those, you can have those romantic illusions about what, what's going to happen when you get home and that impacts with reality. Having difficulties reintegrating and then, and then getting that structure again, hearing that piece around communication um, getting into having that own routine of self-sufficiency in the drift and then turning it around with taking responsibility and that statement around everything being a choice. So from, from all of us, once again, thanks for uh, Cherry to join in <laughs> at short notice. She was here and it was a reunion episode. We thought that would rope her in. Um, so from Mike 77, Raf and uh, Paul, send us some emails. We've taken a question. We really appreciate the, the question that led to this. I mean, this has been a heavy uh, episode and we, we really appreciate that uh, input from you guys, our listeners. So from all of us, to all of you, good luck. And, and we hope you guys can extract something about your own time apart, your own reunions. And uh, until next time, stay focused and stay safe.